Thank you, ladies, for encouraging our hearts, choir for instructing our hearts in the word. <clears throat> Those of you encouraging each other in prayer for the service. And I hope each one of these things we can put fingerprints on in the scriptures. Um, and that we will continue, continue to increase more and more. First Peter chapter 4, I'd like to, as you turn there, First Peter chapter 4. For two of three weeks in this small portion of scripture, I'd like to welcome our guests this morning. Uh, we have some men in the back of our auditorium that when they see your hand, if you're a guest and you've never received one of our gifts, we'd like you or the person who brought you to raise your hand that we might get you a gift this morning. If you were not handed one on the way in, would you slip up your hand? Our ushers will find you up here in the front. Dan, anyone else? guests across the auditorium or someone that brought you. Um, thank you for being here. Um, we'd love to have a um, knowledge of your guest visit with us. If you take a moment uh, between now and the end of the service here in about 35, 40 minutes to um, fill out the guest card in there, we'd love to pray for you. You can put some prayer requests on the back of that and love to let you know a little bit more about our church family together. We're glad you're here. We look forward to getting to know you a little bit more after the service this morning. And, um, how we can best encourage you as we worship the Lord together uh, today. Uh, there are a number of things I would like to pray for before we get started this morning in our text. Um, so if you would join me uh, just for a moment of prayer. Uh, we have a dear saint among us, uh, Laverne Miozzi, that has, um, this week, her um, twin sister, um, that she was very, very close to, passed away, and I know that Laverne's grieving in her heart, and um, we have some others who are hurting and need our prayer this morning, and I know you prayed together, but I'd like to just lift these things and these folks up to the Lord as we continue, okay? So join me in prayer, if you would. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to uh, bring these souls before you, your children. We know again you're completely aware of their need, but Lord, we ask that they would know the very special ministry of the Holy Spirit within them. I think particularly this morning, we do, of Laverne and the agony of her soul in this hour and in the last several days since her sister's passing pray, Lord, that she would know the Spirit's comfort, the capability of God's grace to sustain her, the love of your family to carry her along, and the promises of your word to hold her fast. And we pray, Lord, for Jim and Donna Knapp, who are ill this morning. We pray, Lord, that you would touch their bodies and, and quickly heal them. We pray, Lord, for Shauna Frank as she mourns continually the loss of multiple loved ones in the last several months. As she mourns the loss currently of her mother with the memorial service being yesterday, I pray that you would continue to allow her to know your capable comfort. May she know the meekness and gentleness of Christ in these hours and in the days ahead. We lift up, Lord, also um, Carrie Bear and Jeff Ashdown and his family and Carrie's family. We ask, Lord, for their healing. You are able to raise the widow of Nain's son. You're able to cause Lazarus to come forth from a grave. You yourself conquered death in your son and the Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection. We know, Lord, that you can reverse the effects and consequences of sin in our body pray that you would do that for these saints among others in our midst with that which would be 
not such a good outcome. We know that you can reverse that. We pray that you be merciful to them and cause them to know what it means for me to live as Christ. Father, I pray as a body that we would learn together what it means to personally devote ourselves to you, devote ourselves to you among one another. In prayer and in your word, we prepare each other to exist as your light of the gospel of Christ in our community. I pray, Lord, that when there's literally thousands of things seeking to peel your people away from one another, that you would use your word, even texts like we're studying in these three weeks, to draw us closer together in Christ. And is that which is increasingly moving at light speed towards darkness and destruction outside of us, I pray that we would be the steadfast, meek, and gentle light of Christ. And that that testimony among our friends and family who need Jesus would just gleam and cause the world around us that we rub shoulders with each day to sense the presence of the Spirit of God in us, to know the joy of the Lord that is our strength within us. Cause them to be drawn to you and not us as you abide in us in the person of your Spirit. And cause us, Lord, to know your grace, to speak of the Lord Jesus Christ when our sweet friends and family ask us of him. And pray that this would be a time of tremendous spiritual harvest among our church family, both in our homes and our neighborhoods, our places of work, places of exercise, wherever we exist in our natural routine, allow us to be a supernatural influence. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 4, let's reread these verses briefly. Verse 7, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. And whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I think all of us would immediately recognize that we are living in a world that's full of crisis. As the world experiences crisis, we know scripturally and historically that Christians experience that same crisis in deeper and wider ways. The Christian feels crisis and the reality of crisis more than the world does. Because the God of this world, as we studied several weeks ago and several months ago in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, has a goal. The God of this world, who is the author of confusion, who is the author of accusation, really um, desires not to have world dominance, but he desires to most expunge the influence of God in Jesus Christ from the world. That's why believers feel the pressure and the crisis of the world more than the world does. Satan will never rest 
until he has expunged the purpose of God in Christ from the world. And in Christ, you are that purpose. He doesn't sit idly by. He rallies his troops. And he has the crosshairs squarely placed upon the necks of those who claim Christ. But those who claim Christ can claim him because they have a glorious salvation. And that salvation, we know, has made us citizens of a much better country than the one in which we live. And we walk according to the rule of that country, the governance of that country, as the Spirit of God indwells us and dominates the influence of our hearts. And as we live as dispossessed citizens of a better country because of our salvation, we walk to the beat of a different spiritual drum. We have a mission. And our mission is the Great Commission. As much as we love our country and as much as we love to maybe recite the Pledge of Allegiance to our flag and as much as we we love to this next Sunday give thanks to those who are first responders and those who have sacrificed for our national freedom, our first and foremost Pledge of Allegiance will always be to the Great Commission and not to the flag of the United States of America. All of us enjoy our country. All of us enjoy the freedoms in which we have and will forever be thankful for those things. But the whole book of 1 Peter we gave to you last week in a three-section outline is we have a glorious salvation, which is made as citizens of another country. Therefore, we have a glorious mission. And we live that mission of Christ no matter where we walk in life, whether domestically or vocationally. And then we have an expectation that's different than the world's expectation. We discussed that last week, right? In that first line of verse 7, the end of all things is near. And we said that's not, an, that's not a discouraging statement. For the believer, that's a statement of excited expectation. The end of all things is near because our Savior who gave us the salvation, our Savior who lived and gave us the mission of the gospel, is the same Savior who can imminently return in the clouds to receive us to that better country, that glorious place of the redeemed for time and eternity. But while we live out this mission as we await this expectation, Christians in crisis have some opportunities, some obligations, if you will, that grace, the grace of God helps us pursue, helps us live. And there really is no way to live these expectations or obligations or opportunities unless the grace of God is squeezing us to live them. You cannot live these expectations that we outlined for you last week without help from God. As a matter of fact, if you are struggling in living out these expectations or opportunities or obligations, you've probably moved back from or aside from full dependence on God in your own personal walk with him. Just briefly... We found out last week that we are to live expectantly in verse 7. We're to pray fervently in the same verse. This morning, we're going to look at verse 8. We're to forgive freely. And I guess we could say there we should love freely. I don't know that the two can be separated here, so we'll just say we're to forgive freely. And then we'll find out this morning we're to be available willingly. In verse number 9, and the next time we're together on a Sunday morning, we'll look at verses 10 and 11, we're to serve faithfully. God's grace compels us to pursue 
each of these opportunities in these verses as faithfully as possible. But our attention for this morning is brought to verse 8. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Now remember, we said the grammar of the text really connects one verse to the next. Expectant believers, those who are excited about the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ, those who look at themselves primarily as dispossessed citizens of heaven, those who await and they journey forward by faith looking for that better country, these people do something, right? They live with spiritual common sense. We looked at that in verse 7, remember? Therefore be of sound judgment and of sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. When we're expectantly awaiting the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, that compels us to become like him who we are awaiting to see. And the only way we can do that is by staying in tune with the Holy Spirit that indwells us and growing in his word together as we await his return. In so doing, we're given the ability to have some spiritual common sense in relationship to our thinking, in relationship to our living. And it's connected to the how and why of prayer. We can't say that we live the word of God without being attached to the God of the word in prayer. So knowing the word, living the word, is naturally connected to knowing the God of the word in an environment of personal communication to him in prayer. This is where the spiritual common sense, the sensibility comes from. And having spent that time in prayer, as we expectantly await, the text goes on to say here, above all, keep fervent in your love, for love covers a multitude of sins. So the praying person is a loving person who's freely able to forgive. An expectant person, a devoted person in prayer and in the word is someone who loves and forgives freely. So above all, Those are two words that connect us to what comes naturally. It says here, keep fervent. Keep fervent. For those of you that are language gurus out there, um, this is a participle that connects us to the verbs of verse 7. If you really wanted to know if what I was saying was true, go to the grammar, not my mouth. (laughs) And just know that this participle, above all, remain fervent, keep staying fervent in your love, that participle's connected to the verbs we've already studied, as I said in verse number seven. This word fervent in the first century was really known as an anatomical term, a term of anatomy. This is gonna sound a little bit Different, but this is how they would have understood it in the first century, right? I don't know if any of you love to watch horses run. Um, I don't know if you like to watch them run in competition. I know some of you do. But when someone in the first century would have heard the word fervent, they would have immediately attached in their mind's eye to the gallop or the sprint of a horse. And at full sprint, right? If that horse in full sprint, a still photo was able to be taken of that horse, in a moment, you could see pretty much every muscle on that beast uniquely defined. I can remember years ago, I think it was on the cover of Time magazine, uh, when Secretariat, I think a winner of the Triple Crown, 
made it to the front cover of Time magazine. <laughs> it must have been the beast of the year, the animal of the year, instead of the person of the year, I don't know. But I can remember that still photo. And I can remember, it looked like a sculpture. It's a beautiful sculpture of a beast striving with all of its being with eyes squarely focused ahead on a goal, goal of the triple crown. And that's really what Paul is saying here spiritually. Above all, keep staying fervent. As you're you're expectantly awaiting, as you're devoting yourselves in prayer, there's something that's going to come more natural to you, right? God's grace is going to underpin your desire to love, to love, and to flex your muscles of love, if I can say that, consistently among a body of people the flock of Jesus Christ in your local church. That's the context of 1 Peter. As it's written to churches under tremendous affliction, involved in tremendous crisis in their lives, each quartered off to their own local assemblies. As you expectantly await, as you grow in your devotion, you will naturally, supernaturally flex muscles of love one person to the next to the next to the next Paul says something similarly in Colossians 3:14 if you want to write down in the margin of your bible he says above all put on love which is the perfect bond of unity Philippians chapter 2 Verses 1 through 4, Paul reiterates similar wording. He says, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love. United in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Of course, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 could be clearly cross-reference to those two passages in relationship to this passage on love in 1 Peter chapter 4. Love does. Love hopes all things. Love believes all things. Love endures all things. Love is not puffed up. Love doesn't vaunt itself. Love doesn't lord over the body. He goes on in verse 8 to say, there's faith, there's hope, and there's love, but the greatest of these is what? As we're flexing our love muscles, if you will, keep fervent in your love for who? For one another. We call this a reflexive pronoun in the Greek language. So why use that fancy word reflexive? Well, it's not reciprocal. It's a very personal pronoun. This is the instinct. This is your individual personal instinct. We're pressed of God to flex these muscles because we're devoted to him. We're waiting for him. And while we do that, you draw the circle around you. This has nothing to do with the person sitting next to you or behind you or in front of you. This has to do with you, this pronoun. I know it may sound silly, but 
teenage boys as they're growing up from boys to men, they love to flex in front of the mirror. Right? I did it. I have nothing left to flex. Right? Sometimes I'll flex and I ask my wife to just kind of tap the gun and see what she thinks and just I don't know if there was ever a time she said, wow, that's, but <laughs> certainly not happening now. But I can remember growing up and walking by my son's bathroom. They're getting ready in the morning. I can see it. You know. It's natural. You know, but it's always kind of embarrassing when they get caught, right? And if it's not embarrassing, you kind of wonder if they love themselves too much. But this is a very personal flex, if you will. You decide. You decide that there's a body that's in Christ that needs to be loved. But then there's very practical hands and feet to this love. And it's right in the text. Before we get to those practical hands and feet, can I just tell you that again, that this whole context is given to the people in the first century in the greatest time of crisis in the church's history. Not just until that point. Many historians would say the greatest time in Christian history to this day. Like there's never been a church in crisis like this one has yet. And can I say that the greater the crisis grows from without, according to the context, the more we're pushed by grace to look up and expect, the more we're compelled by grace to devote, to pray, and to know spiritual and practical common sense. And the more we're molded, the more we're pressed to individually choose to love. Why? Because the text says love covers a multitude of sins. Now, we know that this is the local church. So the multitude of sins that he's speaking of here must mean sins inside the body not the sins of the world. Okay? Now think about that. Love covers a multitude of sins. So in greater times of crisis, apparently the Holy Spirit knew when inspiring Peter that there was going to be a greater need for grace to develop people to be expectant, to be devoted, and to be loving in a forgiving way. And that's true, isn't it? If anything crisis is done outside the church, to tear the church apart, it's probably been the greatest in in our existence where we've realized that. The church globally the church regionally, and certainly the church locally. I don't think in 35 years of ministry I've ever seen Satan go to work at pulling the church apart due to crisis outside the church and pressure put on the church because of that crisis. It's unprecedented. I've never seen it. I, don't, I think it pales in comparison to what the people were going through that Peter was writing to. Right? But what's really interesting about our culture is we don't have a clue what they were going through, but yet we're receiving enough pressure right now to really define for us who we are and who we aren't in our character. We talked about that last week, the pressure, the uglinesses that come out, and then what do we do? But uglinesses do come out under pressure. And what do we do? We love more, we flex more to do what? To forgive more. To forgive more. So you should expect from one another, the greater the crisis, the greater the ugliness comes to the top, 
we deal with the dross, we skim it off through forgiveness and other ways, and then we pursue Christ-likeness together. This is something that we just need to assume, friends, but because we've lived and really, and we've all grown up being fed with the spiritual silver spoon of sorts in a, in a wonderful country, in a decent economy with beautiful homes and not much crisis in our lives outside personal physical illnesses and so forth. That when we do really get squeezed, when it really, the pressure cooker really gets steamed up, it seems like it's about to explode. Apparently, among the flock of God, forgiveness seems to be a really difficult thing to do. But Peter's saying to an expectant, devoted people, forgiveness apparently is an easy thing to do. So forgiveness among the flock is hard for you in your home or among the flock. And then I think we've got to go back and do an expectancy check. And a devotion check. We said last week, if a believer can't pray, we really can't spiritually breathe. And I would say to you that if a believer can't forgive or isn't forgiving, that they're suffocating. Because God's grace compels us to forgive, and even more so in a time of crisis, it ought not to be harder. It must be easier according to the flow of the grammar again. You see, in a time of crisis, there's not much time to plan to love and forgive. <laughs> Do you hear what I said? Amen. In a time of crisis, there's not much planning to love and forgive. Amen. It's a natural response. It's a natural, supernatural, immediate response. Because I expect the body to fail when crisis... If I'm expecting it to fail because we're fallen, then immediately I go where? I go to Christ in you, the hope of glory. I go to loving you. Back to a settled heart. You go to loving me back to where we are all together in Jesus Christ. All of us have different situations like this domestically and vocationally where we've walked into what just seemed to be a domestic or vocational 8.0 earthquake in our homes, right? And in our jobs. Have you ever been in an earthquake? Yes. Right. First one I was ever in was 1986. I've talked to you about that one. Thought our school building was blowing up when I was a senior in high school. In that moment, everyone decides to do something. In that moment, something takes over. And whatever you do in that moment kind of tells you a lot about who you are. Sorry, it just does. In that moment, someone does something. Next earthquake I experienced was in my own home. Sitting in the back of the house, I actually thought someone ran into the front of her house. You say, well, that's silly, Pastor Tim. Those of you who know where I live, you know I live on a cul-de-sac where you can't even go 10 miles an hour. Around the, how is someone going to slam into the house? But you know what? In that moment, when you feel the thud, and it's that kind of earthquake that doesn't take you like this, right? The tectonic plates kind of go like this, boom, and you kind of boom, right? Some of you felt that earthquake a few years ago. What do you do? You're either frozen by it or you move. You move. The next one I was in was involved with us in California. I was having dinner with some people that grew up there. 
And this was one of those earthquakes where everything just kind of sways. Right? And so things are starting to sway. And my heart's starting to race a little bit. And the people sitting across the table from us, they keep talking as if nothing's going on. <laughs> it's a true story. Remember that? I looked up. The lights in the restaurant are swinging. And they're just cutting their salmon and talking about life. I was like, you guys see this, right? <laughs> yeah, happens all the time. You're going to be okay. Should we do something? Should we go outside? Should we go help someone? No, just keep eating. You'll be fine. In a time of immediate crisis, you really don't, this is the point of the context, you really don't have time to think about loving. You don't have time to think about forgiving. So that's the reason for the flow of the grammar. If you're living expectantly and you're living devotedly, then it's going to be your immediate impulse to forgive and to love. Boom, that's it. That's it. There is no other alternative in a time of pressure cooker crisis. This is the believer's response for one another. This is why love is a sub-theme of the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1 and verse 8, chapter 1 and verse 22, chapter 2 and verse 17, chapter, chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. Study those verses out, but it's a sub-theme of this book. This is just what people in crisis do. They can quickly love. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sin. Love is a divine person. That's Christ. We know that. Love's perfect expression is him on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin became sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. And love has an ethical devotion, doesn't it? John, John 15, 2 John verse 6, this is love that you keep my commandments. This is just what love does. Love knows the person of love. Love does what the person of love does in crisis, and the person of love who experienced, according to Isaiah 53, the world's most epic crisis that any individual could ever endure, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, slaughtered for you and for me, in that moment of epic crisis, he says, to the beloved disciple, John, behold your mother Mary. Love her. And Lord, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Love to his family. Mercy on the world. Love in crisis. It's just what it does. The word cover here is an interesting word. It's not a word that you would typically think would be used here. It literally means to cover over, not cover up. It means to put a cover over something, to hide it, and to put it out of the way. This is what the expectant, devoted Christian mind heart does. It quickly decides to put away the transgression of another in a time of crisis, believing that they will grow from it, believing they will be restored to Christ, helping them do so. Why? So that you both can get back to doing the mission of our Christ together. Even Solomon knew, as we studied last year, in Ecclesiastes, two are better than one. A person left alone is without compassion, without protection. Forgiveness is perfunctory. Forgiveness is simply done so that there can be spiritual companionship, so there can be spiritual protection as we pursue mission. Think about this. Remember in the Gospels, where Peter asks the Lord, how many times shall we forgive somebody? 
Then he suggests, Peter suggests, shall we forgive someone seven times in a day? Now, you know what Peter was doing with that seven times? He was over doubling the amount of times someone should be expected to forgive someone as was written in the Jewish Talmud, which is Jewish written history, which only said you should forgive someone three times in a 24-hour period. So Peter, trying to, you know how Peter was, right? He's trying to kind of vault himself to the front of the crowd with, hey, I'm going to double that and I'm going to raise it one. And I'm going to use the number seven because I'm thinking Peter knows a little bit about the usage of that number spiritually. I don't know. And Jesus' response to him was what? No, Peter. How about 70 times seven in a 24-hour period? How about 490 times in a day, which means 20.42 times an hour if you don't sleep. Now you say, hey, you want a literal grammatical interpretation to that or you just want an allegorical interpretation of that? I don't care whichever one you take. All I'm saying is that's a lifestyle of someone that knows how to forgive. Love does call for a multitude of sins. Love's action is necessary because Christians are still weak and failing. When we fall, we pick others up in forgiveness, we carry them, and then we fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's verse 2 actually. Verse 1 says that that requires a conversation. Love covers a multitude of sins. Remember I said it doesn't mean cover up. When there's been something that separates a, a relationship and someone just says, well, I'll just love them anyway. But when they say they love them and then their relationship goes like this and not like this, someone really didn't understand what forgiving is. Right. We used to play a game when I was a kid. And my brother John and I, I don't even know what the name of this game was. Maybe you do. We used to take our hands. We used to go like this. And the other person could use both hands to try to pry one finger up at a time. Right? Like the next day after we played this game, our forearms just killed. Right? Right? But this is the idea. Expectant believers are devoted. And as they're more expectant and they're more devoted, that grip gets more and more. So if I ask Laurel to come up here, I'm not going to ask one of your brothers because they'd probably be successful, right? If I asked you to come up here and try to pry up one of my fingers, I'll bet you you couldn't do it, unless you bit them, <laughs> which I know you wouldn't do that. See my point? It would take a long time or forward full strength, this teenage boys, to get one finger pried up at a time because you still got eight more to go, buddy. Keep going, keep going. That's the idea. And by the time you get to love, flexing individual muscles, and love, forgiving as a lifestyle of forgiveness, you know how hard it is for Satan to break that bond, to pull up that finger? He's powerless. Because that bond's by grace alone. It's governed by the Spirit of God alone. That's what grace does to the body. It doesn't do this. Pull it apart. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 12. Hatred stirs up dissension. But love covers all wrongs. But in order for this to happen, Galatians 6.1, a conversation needs to happen. And in that conversation, when I go into conversations with believers, most of the time you don't even know what the issue is. But if you find out the issue is an issue that could divide, I'm automatically going into every conversation not knowing what it's about, ready to forgive that person, hopefully be forgiven before the conversation even starts. I mean, isn't that what you want to do with your wife? 
Isn't that what you want to do with your kid? Not what we want to do with the family of God? Yeah, that's easy. Let's pray. <laughs> Why? Because the crisis isn't going to die down outside. It's not. It's got to have a conversation. That's the discipline of grace. And maintaining the bond that Paul says we're to maintain in Ephesians 4, we strive together to maintenance the unity that you created. No, that the Spirit of God granted. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have no issues with unity, friends. Right? That's a tight bond. <laughs> the unity that the Spirit of God gives us is only maintenanced by the doing of spiritual disciplines. And we seek to love in a forgiving way. I suppose that we could spend the next 10 years talking about how love expresses itself in various passages throughout the New Testament. Right? But can, you read, can I leave you with this as we go to prayer? In the context, because this is a church under crisis, and I understand there's other places we've already cited where love's used in the context of this letter. But in this specific immediate context, under expectantly waiting and urgently devoting and loving in a forgiving way, right? Love is highlighted, attached to an activity. Love is highlighted, attached to an activity here because it had to be. Because in crisis, it's harder for believers to forgive. And that's why we go back to the order of the text. If we're waiting and we're devoting, it should be easier, not harder. Okay? It should be easier and not harder. And then we're going to find out when people that maintain this bond do so successfully, there's a beautiful thing that happens in verse 9. That doesn't really happen if that bond's not maintained. And it's hospitality. And then if that bond is maintained and we realize that hospitality, there's another beautiful thing that happens in verses 10 and 11. And that's service in the local church. You see, people who aren't expecting, aren't devoting, aren't going to be loving, so they're not going to be forgiving, so they're not going to be having people in that offended them. And then they're going to back up from service right? I'm just going to let that crisis have its way. So now, love you from here. I see you there in the back of the auditorium. I love you. Yeah, I'm just going to, probably out of screen for live stream, sorry. I'm telling you, this is what happens, folks. We're at it. We're at it. Ta-da. Welcome to the 21st century. So we're at, I love you from way over here. I'll love you from way over here. And man, if I had the energy, and I know I'm being silly, I haven't done this in 16 years. If I could climb in this baptistry and walk on the other side of that wall, I'll love you and I'll scream through the wall. I love you. What? What? And all of a sudden, I, we, come back to a text like this, and we say, what? I don't think the return of Jesus is very exciting. Really? The end of all things is near. What do we do? First John 3. Let this hope in you purify you, even as he is pure. It draws us closer to be like him. And closer to his people who are becoming like him. And hospitality and even service, which we'll look at the next couple weeks. So I hope, I hope I, I'm not going to apologize for my passion, friends, because you all know, you all know, you're living it. You know, you know how crazy and wild it's getting out there. 
and we ain't seen nothing yet. And you know, why are you feeling, why are you really good Christians feeling this heaviness like you've never felt before in your life? Because you know it's not the devil's primary aim to destroy countries. His primary aim is to expunge the influence of Christ from the world Jesus came to save. So his crosshairs are on you and me. But we can live in a way where it doesn't feel like they are. If God's grace is developing us. Okay. So we'll talk about spending time together in our homes and serving together among the household of faith next time. Okay, Father in heaven, we love you. We ask, Father, that you would help me to let grace develop me. I, you know, Lord, I beg you every, every Lord's Day and in preparation, don't let me step out, Lord. I trust I haven't done that this morning. Step outside of the bounds of the application of this passage. We're nowhere close to experiencing what the people people wrote to did, but Lord, we're experiencing something we've not experienced before. Seems like crisis to us, and it is. But as much as Satan pressures, I pray, Lord, that our passion to see our Savior to be in your presence in prayer and devotion, to let that shape our thinking and our living. The passion to love and its expression during forgiveness. I pray, Lord, that the, the greater the crisis, the greater the ability to forgive and to love. I pray, Lord, that will bring us together in our homes and our service as we grow deeper in our love for each other so we can be that brighter light outside to our friends and family in town that need Jesus. In Christ's name we pray, amen.